Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, anti-poverty activists across Ontario are calling for tighter rent controls. Is amalgamation in the books for Burlington? Also, a tuition rollback has been announced by the provincial government with tuition fees being cut by 10%. What are the concerns? We'll talk about it. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Affordable housing and rent controls. Uh, this is not a new story in Hamilton. It's been an ongoing concern for quite some time. Uh, anti-poverty activists here in Hamilton and right across Ontario, in fact, are calling for tighter rent controls and for the government to, well, not loosen them. Uh, I'm not so sure the government's listening to that based on some of the policies they have introduced in the last little while. I want to bring Tom Cooper into the conversation from the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction to give us his take on this. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing today? Hey, Bill. Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Um, listen, this is, as we mentioned, not a news story, but it's uh, now that the government's starting to roll out an awful lot of these policies, uh, affordable housing and affordable rent controls uh, are, are a major issue right now. It seems as if what you have been asking for for the last five or six years, really, is the total opposite direction of where the government seems to want to go on this. Yeah, go figure. The, uh, the the challenge is, of course, Bill, that uh, rents are skyrocketing out of control. And it, of course, started in, in the Toronto market. Uh, but really, it, it's trickled down very, very quickly in, in Hamilton. And now we're seeing average rents in Hamilton at around $1,100 a month. And uh, that's, uh, that's a huge jump from where it was, as you say, even uh, four or five years ago. Um, so what this is doing is having a devastating impact on on low income communities and uh, Acorn, which is uh, a fantastic community organization, was out in full force yesterday in Hamilton and a number of other uh, communities, really talking about the need to bring in real rent controls uh, to protect tenants so that they don't lose their housing um, because very a lot are are at extreme risk of homelessness right now. Well, there's a couple of things going on, and, and, and let's touch on, I think, one of the major concerns that I've heard when I've talked with Mike Wood from Acorn and a number of others, and, and you've brought this issue uh, to the fore, and I'm surprised the government hasn't talked about this yet, is is some people may have this uh, idea that, hey, there are rent controls in place here, so that we're, we're covered. And, uh, and according to the legislation, uh, if your building is rent controlled, uh, then the only increase you can get is about a 1.8 percent uh, per year increase, and they figure, okay, we can live with that. But the the reality here, Tom, is there's an awful lot of landlords that are doing an end run around that legislation. Yeah, it's it's called vacancy decontrol, but what it really means is if uh, a tenant leaves an apartment building or a rental situation, the landlord can bump up that price to to whatever they think they can get in the marketplace. And and so we do on many occasions, and I know my colleagues at Hamilton Community Legal Clinic are seeing this every single day, uh, they're seeing aggressive landlords and, and big property management companies trying to encourage tenants one way or another uh, to, to get out so that they can, you know, maybe renovate units and then increase rents by 25 Thirty, fifty percent in some cases, and so it's it's really having a detrimental effect on on the rental marketplace. It's it's leading to uh, leading to increases in rent right across the board. And um, as as you say, although uh, some landlords, um, if you're if you're in a in a existing rental unit can only increase it by 1.8%. Uh, there's a lot who are trying to get around that, and, and it's becoming more and more difficult to fight that. 
Well, and as, uh, that's the end run aspect of this, as you said about the, the vacancy idea. But the other one is, is, of course, they can apply for an increase over and above that. Uh, yeah. And who's to say whether or not they're going to get it or not? But I mean, the, 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 the problem that I'm hearing is that the tenants basically have no say in the matter. Yeah, exactly, and and for very cosmetic reasons as well, they can uh, they can increase rents and apply to the Ontario Rental Housing Tribunal uh, for for about what's called an above guideline increase, and and so again, we see this all the time, and it's really just an excuse to try to to bump up rents and. Uh, the problem is, of course, this is having a severely detrimental effect on um, on low-income tenants who, who are already paying far too much of their total incomes towards rent. We're going to be releasing some information uh, probably next week um, that uh, was asked of the local basic income participants when they first signed on for the basic income pilot. And uh, some of the stories they were telling about uh, just how difficult their housing situation um, really was is is truly scary. And uh, many of them are going back into that situation now that the Ford government has uh, canceled the uh, pilot two years early. Um, so this is, you know, this is just a culminative effect um, when you look at uh, the current provincial government's cancellation of the increase in, in minimum wage the uh, cutbacks to social assistance increases, yesterday's announcement about, uh, about student assistance, and, and then this, it, it's almost as if it's a war on the poor, and uh, many people are starting to view it that way. Yeah, been there, done that. We heard that all back in the, the mid-1990s, of course, with the Common Sense Revolution. Listen, uh, refresh my memory, because you just talked about percentage of, of, uh, of income that goes towards uh, putting a roof over your head. And I know that some years ago, it's not a hard and fast guideline, but there are some things that they kind of looked at and said, look, uh, to be healthy and be able to spend money and, and, and you know basically exist and buy groceries and everything else, uh, there's a certain percentage of your income that should go towards uh, affordable housing. And I, it's, I, I thought it was in the neighborhood of 25 or 30%. Am I in the ballpark there? Yeah, that's right, Bill. It's, it's typically around 30%, but we know a lot of people are paying far more than that. Well, I've heard of 50, 55% in some cases and more. Oh yeah, I, I, I've certainly talked to to folks, particularly on Ontario social assistance, who are who are paying upwards of eighty percent, eighty five percent on their income, and that's exactly why we see uh, so many people uh, who are on those fixed incomes needing to use food banks, is because they're spending the vast majority of the uh, benefits they're receiving on on their housing, and that's why we we really do need. Um, cross-governmental solutions to these. And, and, and I'm glad the city of Hamilton has stepped up over the last few years and have brought in really some innovative solutions uh, from portable housing benefits to the uh, $50 million the mayor and, and Councillor Collins uh, proposed to, to fix up social housing. But when it comes to the provincial government, when it comes to the federal government, they've been absentee landlords in terms of the uh, desire to to fix up what has really become a broken uh, affordable housing system in Canada. We used to put a lot of uh, investments into housing in the in the 1950s and the 60s, particularly in the 1970s, but that money dried up, and uh, there hasn't been the amount of investment we've needed, and that's why 
we don't have uh, the availability of affordable housing in our communities anymore. It's it's because senior levels of government have washed their hands of, of affordable housing. And it's really high time that uh, they took some responsibility and started protecting uh particularly the most vulnerable people who, who I believe have a right to housing in their lives. Now, what you're hearing from the government, though, is, uh, yeah, we are addressing this. And, and, and one of the things that the Ford government has suggested they want to do here is uh, when it comes to new buildings, uh, they will be exempt from, uh, from the rent caps uh, that, that we've just been talking about over the last couple of uh, minutes here on the program. Uh, and, and the problem I've got with this, Tom, is uh, we've tried that before. Back in the 1990s, uh, the Harris government did exactly that. Yeah. Uh, and they, it was under the guise of, well, you know what, this is going to be an incentive for people to build more affordable housing units and more rental units, and everybody's going to be happy because the housing stock is going to go up. It didn't happen then. Why would it happen now then? I mean, uh, isn't that the, the the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately it is. And, and you're right, we had about uh, 15 years of experience where developers simply weren't investing in in affordable rental housing and um you know it didn't lead to new builds uh and and then the uh, previous provincial government in in the last year or two of its mandate did bring in these caps for uh for new uh for new builds on on rent controls but um just recently the uh the new provincial government scrapped those uh scrapped those initiatives it it really comes down to uh making a choice and and these are all policy choices as you know bill and unfortunately the senior levels of government just haven't invested what they need to now the the federal government's talking about the need for a national housing strategy and they brought one in after 20 years without a national housing strategy which in its own sense is, is mind-boggling to live in a country with the climate of Canada and not have a national housing strategy. But nevertheless, we didn't have one for 20 years. Uh, they've recently brought one in. Unfortunately, most of the money that's going to go into those uh, new housing investments uh, isn't going to flow until uh, until next year or the year after, so after the next federal election. You know, this is a crisis now. People are are losing their homes. Uh, They're being driven into deep debt and and deep despair. We really need to make significant investments in in housing today. Well, interestingly, I I did a little research on this because uh, you mentioned that to us before. And and you're right. I mean, the federal minister has been in the town twice now, I guess, in the last couple of months. Uh, talking about the strategy, and it's wonderful. And I had him on the show, and it, it sounded very encouraging. But if the money doesn't flow, it doesn't do us any good. Uh, but there is an agreement in place, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Tom, but just for the sake of our listeners, uh, both the province and the federal government uh, have signed a, an agreement, a bilateral agreement about uh, affordable housing. Neither one of them are doing anything about it. It's just a piece of paper right now with signatures on it. Yeah, we really we really do need more collaborative action between the provincial government and the federal government on on a multitude of issues and and certainly housing's one big one climate change is another big one but uh, you know it it's time for our politicians at the senior levels of government to get their acts together. You know, it's it's great for MPPs at Queens Park to to vote themselves a 20% increase in in their own housing allowance, but while we see you know, hundreds and thousands of people struggling uh, to meet their uh, to meet their daily needs uh, because they can't afford uh, their own rents. And yeah, let's let's underscore that for just a second yeah. because that's a story that probably a lot of people may not be aware of. 
Uh, MPPs that, that obviously go to work at Queen's Park, uh, let's face it, unless you live in the Hamilton, Toronto area, uh, you usually have to get a, some accommodation. you got to live there Monday to Friday uh, because that's when you go to work. Uh, and they complained. These are the MPPs now that we just elected a, a few months ago. They complained that they said, look, at the, the rents in Toronto are sky high. We can't afford to live and can't find a place be, uh, based on the, the allowances that, that we have. So they increased it. So in other words, they have addressed their problem, but the people that are really hurting right now that don't have enough money to cover their rent, they're being literally left out in the cold. Yeah, and, and it boggles the mind. And I was looking at some statistics yesterday that showed for vacant rental apartments, uh, we've seen a uh, 12% increase in in the average rents for, for one-bedroom apartments here in Hamilton just in the last year, and that's even higher than we've seen in Toronto. Um, so we know people are, are making impossible choices uh, about whether to pay the rent or feed the kids or keep the heat on. Um, you know, these are choices that our politicians, luckily, because they're earning more than $100,000 a year, are, are able to make without too many sacrifices in their own lives. Unfortunately, the vast majority of people who are, who are renting, who are tenants in this city, don't have those options, and, and they're falling further and further behind. So where do we go from here? I mean, I know there's a protest, and as you mentioned, they were at City Hall. They've gone to Queen's Park. You've been to Queen's Park a, a number of times with some other uh, residents about this. Uh, how do you get their ear? It, it's going to be tough, honestly, Bill, for the next, uh, for the next few years. Uh, just in terms of the recent policy decisions we've seen from the provincial government, whether it's the cancellation of the basic income pilot, whether it's the cutbacks uh, to social assistance, the cancellation of the increase in minimum wage, OSAP, and, and now these issues on, on affordable housing, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, to get this government's ear, I think, over the next few years. But um, that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't try and we shouldn't continue uh, to protest when we need to, but but try to have constructive conversations as well, uh, because these folks in at Queens Park were elected by all of us, and they have to go back to the voters again in in another three three and a half years. Um, so we need to make sure that uh, as voters, we're letting our politicians know that they have to prioritize things like affordable housing. We need more affordable housing built in this province. We need rent controls. Uh, so that uh, people can be protected in, in the space where they live. And, and we need to ensure that people have adequate incomes moving forward so that they can afford the basic necessities of their daily lives. Well, they said they wanted public input. Uh, those, those are three or four talking points right now that I wish they would uh, start listening to. Tom, thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. Thank you, Bill. Stay safe. You betcha. Tom Cooper from the uh, Roundtable for uh, Poverty Reduction. And and as we've mentioned on the program before, I mean, I, I acknowledge the federal government has stepped up here and they made the announcement and a significant amount of money, but it's it's backloaded. It doesn't start for a while. And there are people right now, it's going to be minus 30 this weekend. You don't want to be out on the street when it's minus 30, but because some people can't afford a place to live, that's going to happen. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We talked about some of the uh, provincial legislation that's being introduced and policies uh, that we're talking about over the last couple of days that is uh, causing some concern, uh, especially at the municipal level. Uh, one of those is the uh, policy announced earlier about uh, a, well, a review of, of governance, of local governance, in other words, municipal governance, by the Doug Ford government. And uh, there are some people that are very concerned that that may be 
the foot in the door to have a discussion about amalgamating a number of different municipalities. Now, here in Hamilton, of course, we've been there, done that. That happened, well, almost 20 years ago that uh, we went through that process. And uh, there are other municipalities uh, all around us, as a matter of fact, that never did go through the amalgamation process, and they still have the two-tier government, regional and local governments. Uh, is that going to go the way of the dodo bird? We don't know what is going to happen here, but there is some concern about this. Uh, joining us to talk about this is a Burlington mayor, Marianne Mead Ward, who uh, is one of those two-tier municipalities. Madam Mayor, good morning. Good to have you on the show again. Good morning, Bill. Great to be here. Listen, when you heard this the other day, Marianne, did it, did it raise some concerns with your council about what might happen? Well, I don't know if any of us knows what might happen, and I think everybody is open to a discussion on how we deliver service to our community in a more effective and efficient way. I, you know, no one's opposed to a review of government. I think what we're concerned about is, you know, are they going to use a hatchet or a handshake? Are we going to cooperate on this, hear from our residents, and, and truly identify what problem we're trying to solve before just uh, slashing the size of government and creating chaos, frankly? Yeah, and I, and I know that was one of the initial things that you talked about at the time. Was look at let's let's make this a consultation and be part of it. It was it was kind of coincidental, obviously, that when this uh, policy was finally announced, uh, you, a number of your mayors were meeting with uh, Mayor John Tory in Toronto, uh, yeah. so you could put your heads together right then. And 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 some of these communities, including Burlington, of course, and Halton Region, and and down Niagara Way, uh, could be impacted by this because you know there was a previous government that decided no amalgamation is a great thing. Uh, we, we may hear what you guys have to say, but we're not really going to listen because this is going to be our mindset. I'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be the mindset here. Well, we're going to certainly, I think the mayors need to band together and, and advocate for our citizens as a collective and, and say, you know, we we know our business. We know how to deliver service to the local community. And, uh, and we've got ideas, I'm sure, on how we can work together. But And there are big issues that affect us. You mentioned the, the GTHA mayor's meeting uh, with Mayor John Tory that, that I was at and many mayors were at. We are all on the same page around working together on transit, affordable housing, some of these issues that cross municipal boundaries. But you don't have to amalgamate cities to get cooperation. Let's let's maybe uh, talk have, have some of that philosophical discussion. Uh, Burlington, as we mentioned, and Halton is part of a two tier system, as as most of the other regions around Hamilton are right now. Uh, you've been there for a while now, Marianne. Does it work effectively? I mean, th there's no such thing as a perfect form of government, but but given the fact that you've got two tier and you've seen how one tier systems have worked or maybe not worked, I guess depending on the situation, uh, I, I'm assuming you like the two tier system and would prefer to keep that. Well, you know, you don't fix what's not broken. Yeah. And I well, sometimes governments do, but I, I, I understand <laughs> your intent, yeah. Well, you don't. And you look at, at Halton Region, and I would say as a region as well as collective, as individual uh, municipalities, we're a model of efficiency. And I can speak for Burlington. We have a seven-member council. That is the smallest council in Halton Region. It is the smallest council for a municipality of our size. We're already lean and efficient. And at Halton Region, you look at the service delivery, we have a AAA credit rating. We've had uh, tax, tax rate increases at the rate of at or below the rate of inflation. And uh, in some years, they were zero. We have very high customer satisfaction with our services. And so, you know, what, what we're delivering great service to the community at a great price. That's what you want your government to do. So, so nothing is broken in Halton, and I think uh, you know perhaps the government. I, I would invite the uh, the two folks who've been appointed to come and visit us and hear how we we do things and learn maybe from us about how to run efficient service for for multiple communities. 
Well, so that's it works uh, very uh, well in in Halton. Yeah, the two people that are going to be running this this uh, study are actually rather interesting. Uh, one, of course, is a former regional chair uh, from up in the KW area, uh, yeah. who obviously worked in a two tier system, and Michael Fenn. Uh, was I know they you know you look at the press release and it says he was a deputy minister and he was in, in provincial governments for a number of years but he also worked for the region of Hamilton Wentworth for a number of times too so they they can look at it from that perspective yeah exactly he, Michael he worked in Burlington a yeah. very well respected guy Michael knows his stuff and and Mr Sealing knows his stuff so I I, I don't get the sense that they're going to come in with any preconceived ideas but you really don't know where the government's coming from do you. Well, and that's the thing. I, I was very uh, pleased to see the two names put forward. I have great respect for the two individuals based on what I've seen and heard of their career. I have yet to meet them, but I look forward to that. And so I suppose that's the part that gives me hope about this process is the two people that they've, that they've put in charge. Now, we've got a very compressed timeline. We've got to get feedback uh, to the government by the end of February. And so, um, you know, that, that's not a lot of time to... to um, to report back and, and, and even make suggestions for how we can be more efficient. I'm, we're all about that, and I think we'd all be willing to undertake that discussion. I guess, uh, you know, one of the factors that would cause a little bit of angst, I would think, is, is quite frankly, the fact of, of what Doug Ford did with Toronto City Council, uh, simply arbitrarily deciding, okay, I'm going to slash the number of, of elected officials. But that, that plays into a mindset that a lot of people seem to have, Marianne, that, you know, fewer means more efficient, and that's not always necessarily the case. Well, it means less representation. It means, right, you, you have more constituents that, that each individual council member would have to look after. And, you know, interesting, in Burlington, for a number of years, we've had the opposite discussion. And this is coming from the community where they've said, we think the, the size of Burlington Council is too small. We want a larger council. And you look at the other municipalities around us, they have two council members for each ward, and Oakville is, is double our size uh, for, for effectively the same uh, size government. And, and certainly our members have, have talked about that, and we've maintained the, uh, our seven-member council for now. But it's interesting when the residents themselves are asking for more government, to have a government wanting to give them less. Well, and and that's uh, I think part of the, uh, the the character of of municipal government. I mean, it's really hands on. It's 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 what's out your front door, really, uh, and and people want to have that sort of a contact. And and that's that's not to to belittle the uh, the the concept of of, of federal and, and provincial politicians, but it's not really as much of a hands on position. But at municipal level, they want to hear you, they want to talk to you, they want to they want you to be engaged in in everything that's going on, not just in their neighborhood, but in their community. It's the most direct and immediate form of government. And, you know, I, collect, I conduct a lot of business in the grocery aisles. <laughs> so, you know, I'm here, I'm on the street, I, I live four blocks from where I work. Um, and, uh, you know, people want your, their, their local representatives to be accessible. They want them to live in the community. And that's, that, that's a requirement which is unique among uh, levels of government. At the federal and provincial, you don't need to live in the riding where you represent. So... Um, you know, I think, I think people want to have that direct access. And I just come back to what, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? When, when folks have asked me in Burlington for more city councillors, uh, my, my response back was, do you want more government or do you want better government? And then what does better government look like? But when you look at Halton, as I said, we are delivering outstanding services at a great uh, price for our residents. There's no problem to be fixed here. So, 
you know, don't go government. We have enough issues to solve as governments and, and transit and affordable housing are just two of the big ones. We don't need to go create problems for us to solve. Well, and again, because you can't just throw a mass mathematical solution out here and say, look, you know, smaller is better and more efficient, because that's not the case. And, and there's a track record here. I mean, you know, we can talk about it, frankly, here in Hamilton, Toronto, and any of the other communities that were amalgamated uh, by the, the, the Harris government back in the day. You know, the, the mantra then was, it's going to cost, it's going to save you tons of money. Uh, it's yep. going to make services more efficient, and that's not the case. It just didn't happen in any of those cities. Uh, as a matter of fact, no. they had to they had to spend millions and millions of dollars in Toronto to subsidize that to kind of use it as a model to say, see, amalgamation works. But as soon as that money dried up, they they've well, you know, you've talked to Mayor on a regular basis. They've got a, their own set of problems with the result of that. So that that's a rather hollow argument to suggest that look at amalgamation is actually going to help a community from a financial standpoint. Well, and that, you know, what, what ends up happening is that the costs get buried and, and each then local councillor, if you're serving double the number of residents, you'd have, you'd have greater administrative staff needs. Uh, so instead of a directed, accountable, elected representation, you now have an administrative side. And, you know, uh, we can't get any smaller in Burlington. Just to give you an idea, there are 63 boards and committees, including standing committees at Halton uh, Region in Burlington, that I had to divvy up as mayor among seven people. 63. So, so we are efficient. We can't get any smaller. Uh, that's nine boards and committees for every single council member, in addition to all of the other things that we do. So, uh, so, so we um, we're uh, you know we're lean. And uh, smaller isn't better, and and some mathematical formula about the magical number of uh, residents per uh, per representative representative. Well, we can have a conversation about that. But again, we have to come back to first principles. What problem are we trying to solve? And just to say we want more efficiency in government is too vague, because there's lots of ways to deliver efficiencies. And and I would say. You know, one of the first things we want to talk about in in the province is is getting speedier permits and approvals from the province, especially for lands that we own, economic development, business lands within the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario um, oversight area. We have a hard time getting those permits in a timely manner. That right there would create efficiency. I had an interesting conversation with the uh, Municipal Affairs Minister at the time, back in the late 90s, when we were going through this dance here in Hamilton, uh, about amalgamation or not amalgamation. And he told me at the time, uh, just to your point, that uh, he looked at city councillors or local councillors, uh, more to the point, as uh, like a board of directors. You only need to meet every now and then and really just kind of rubber stamp and talk about what staff is recommending. That staff actually drives the bus. That's where all the work is going to be done, and councillors are just going to be there to vote yay or nay to this stuff. And I said, you know what? Walk a mile in my shoes. That, that's not what local <laughs> councillors are supposed to do, and that's not what I think the community expects of local councillors. Absolutely not. They elected the council. They didn't elect the administrative staff. To make the decisions and so the council are the decision makers the staff are, are advised council and so uh you you would actually compromise democracy by taking that approach that um you know the staff make all the decisions they're not elected and accountable to the to the people in the same way that the elected uh folks are and that's the foundation of our democracy what would you like to see a vis-a-vis process here, Marianne? Would you a, a public meeting, a, a, hoping that they're going to show up in, in the Halton region in Burlington and ho- hopefully in Oakville uh, and, and get this sort of input? Uh, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to talk to the mayors or, hey, we're going to talk to the local councils. But, I mean, the, the public has to have a say in this as well because, I mean, they understand, I think, the difference between the two forms of government. And I'm sure they've got some pretty strong views on it. 
I think the, yeah, they would be wise to have uh, public engagement in every municipality and, and region and, and hear from the public. But I think the very first thing they have to do is identify specifically what they're trying to achieve at the end of this. What, what's the goal? What, what does the world look like after whatever changes they're going to make uh, occur? Is it going to be, are we going to save money? Well, cutting politicians may be popular with some folks. It's certainly not popular in Burlington. Um, but that's, that's only one way to save money. And you may not even save money, as we talked about. So, so that has to be identified first and foremost. Well, one of the conundrums that we ran into uh, as we went through amalgamation was they said, oh, it's going to be more efficient, it's going to save money from staff standpoint. But what happens then when you have an amalgamation like this, you have people in, I'll pick a department, public works, for instance, uh, in different regions, they, they get paid different salaries, different wages. Uh, and, and we thought, wait a second here, it's got to be one salary, one increase now because we're a new city. It always goes up. It's always gravitated to the highest salary. So, I mean, it yeah. actually costs money for situations like that. And when we explain that to the government at the time, they just said, oh, God, we didn't think that was going to happen. Well, you know, we're the ones that got stuck with it. So, I mean, that's why there has to be a full discussion about this. Yep. And I think the numbers have shown in Toronto that the cost went up. Yep. So, you know, we, we need to make evidence-based, fact-based decisions, and we also need to know what problem we're trying to solve. And as I said, Halton and Burlington are not broke. Uh, we don't need fixing. Don't mess with us. Well, one of the other areas, and I know that, uh, that Andrew Dreschel mentioned this in his piece in The Spectator today, uh, is when and if there's a provincial government that decides they want to go through with something like this, uh, it's a matter of, uh, okay, who's going to dance with whom here? Uh, you know, and we went through this with regional government when that was formed back in the early 1970s, and then, of course, through the amalgamation uh, back in the turn of this century. Uh, and that's that's a dangerous conversation. You may remember, Marianne, back in the, in the days of regional government formation under the Davis government, there was a pretty strong rumor that Hamilton and Burlington were going to be told that uh, they had to partner on this situation, and 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 you know we're the speculation now about what might happen with Burlington. I don't, you don't, you don't still want water down, do you? <laughs> well, I never wanted to end water down. I <clears throat> I don't believe that we need to merge cities. You know, I have a great deal of respect for Fred Eisenberger and and think you know I've got a soft spot in my heart for Hamilton. I think the city's great. We can cooperate on the big issues that we face, like transit and affordable housing, without merging our municipal boundaries and creating chaos. So, uh, you know, we're not interested in annexing Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton's not interested in annexing us. But we are very interested and will continue to work together on the issues that we all face. And I think that's, that's exactly what, what we need, how we need to proceed into the future. Well, we don't want any shotgun weddings. I think we've gone down that road, and it doesn't work <laughs> yeah. well for anybody, does it? Nope. No. And, you know, the residents are, uh, you know, they're not looking for chaos uh, on, on this issue. This is not something that came from any community, uh, you know, to, to, to start undertaking this work. But what they are asking for is more transit, for affordable housing, for increases in social services, including here in Halton, where we have growing needs. Those are the things that the residents are asking us to focus on. I don't know why we're having this discussion at all. Well, we'll find out, I guess, when they start uh, their their so-called uh, you know interventions and 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 their their public meetings on this. I know we pulled you out of a meeting, Marianne. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate you jumping in today. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you're very welcome. Talk T- to you soon. Take care, Marianne Mead Ward, of course, Mayor of the City of Burlington, and, and we'll find out. And like I say, Hamilton probably is not going to be impacted very much on this. Uh, although any time a government says, "Hey, we want to find a way to deliver services more efficiently," that usually means cutting costs. And and the other side of that equation, obviously, if you're going to cut costs, invariably, 
it could mean cutting services, and that's going to be somewhat problematic. That's why we need to have this discussion and and find out, as, as Mayor Ward just said, what is it that the government's actually trying to do here? We may not find that out right away, but we need to. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday, the uh, provincial government uh, made it official. We had speculated earlier in the week. A number of news sources were uh, reporting that uh, the government was going to announce a uh, reduction in uh, tuition fees for uh, post-secondary education. And uh, yesterday it was announced that there would indeed be a rollback with tuition fees being cut by 10%. Uh, there is a mixed reaction, shall we say, to uh, to the government announcement. But to uh, get some clarity on this, we're pleased to welcome to the program the Minister of Training, Colleges and Universities, Marilee Fullerton, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show uh, to talk about what's going on. Minister, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you, Bill. Let's uh, maybe uh, start with, at the beginning here and outline exactly uh, what the motivation was. Why make the cut to, to tuition fees? What well, we had been hearing uh, during the election campaign and after from students. Students were telling us uh, verbally and through emails and letters uh, that tuition fees uh, were too high and that they needed uh, relief uh, from the skyrocketing costs of, of tuition. And so our focus has been to look at how we could achieve that um, and making sure that students and families who needed support the most uh, in, in terms of uh, OSAP and assistance could um, could be accommodated and uh, supported. So this is the tuition fee of 10% reduction is part of a, a three-part package. The second part is the um, opening up the um, student fees or ancillary fees, sometimes called mandatory fees that students pay, and allowing them to be empowered in, in making choices in their education and their the financial component as well. And, and the other part, of, of course, is the OSAP sustainability. And, and we heard from students in terms of the ancillary fees. We heard from the Auditor General about OSAP. And in her report in 2018, which was not so long ago, uh, she indicated that it was on an unsustainable path. And uh, the trajectory we were on was risking um, the potential of uh, unsustainability for the program. So if we wanted to maintain OSAP sustainable, then we needed to address how we could assist students um, and that was tied in with the tuition reduction of 10% and the changes and reduction in the and more empowerment in student fees. So this was a package for students, and, and the first one obviously being the historic, unprecedented tuition fee reduction of 10% for all colleges and university programs that are publicly assisted. But one, one of the concerns that, I, I know you've heard this over the last, I guess, few yeah. hours since you made the announcement, Minister, is, uh, is that what this does is, in many people's minds, it makes it more difficult for low-income families to send children to post-secondary education. Uh, in other words, people that don't need government assistance or OSAP are still going to get a 10% reduction. Others are going to have more, have more difficulty qualifying for OSAP if they can even get that and maybe not be able to afford to uh, to go to post-secondary education at all now. Yeah, well, I, I disagree completely uh, because our focus on this reform um, was not only giving tuition relief to all students across Ontario for college and university, but it was, uh, we had a focus on how to support families at 50000 and under in income, and we've actually increased the share of OSEP grants uh, going to families uh, and would have, that have students um, at $50,000 or under. So we've increased the share of those grants to support um, people who need it the most, students and families who need it. That was the focus of these reforms. Are, are, so those, are those minister going to be totally grants, or is there going to be a payback portion of that as well? 
Well, what we've done is looked at various ways to support all students through this, uh, particularly students at $25,000 uh, with annual under annual income. And that's what the previous government had, and we've maintained that. It's called uh, um, this, it's a support system for low income mm-hmm. um, through the repayment assistance plan. And that's why I say this has to be taken as a package. Also, students will be seeing um, uh, being empowered in the, um, uh, the option to choose the uh, student fees that they see important for them. And, and this is potentially um, a very important initiative for students to be engaged in, in their campus life, in their education, and in, in, in their finances as well. But the, the tuition relief, an average student at college uh, will see a $340 reduction per year this next academic year. For an average student in, a student in a, an arts and science degree in an undergraduate program at university, they would see about a 660 degree, uh, six, uh, 660, sorry, I said this so many times now, $660 reduction in tuition uh, for their academic year. And, and it increases with other programs as well. So an engineering program at Carleton University, for instance, $1,120 in savings. Uh, and that's putting money dollars back in students' pockets. Uh, students across Ontario, every student will benefit from that. But I'd also point out to the actions our government has already taken to make life more affordable for, for students and people and, and looking at um, you know how we're, we're decreasing various fees. Um, for instance, uh, the LIFT program for low-income earners on, on minimum wage. They will not um, pay provincial uh, tax. Uh, well, we, let's, we I, that, and, and we, yeah, we did, and we did talk about those a couple of days ago yeah. when you made those yeah. announcements. But I want to focus on on, on the announcement that you made yesterday, yeah. and, and part of the pushback that uh, that we've heard. And I, I was talking to some families uh, last night, in fact, that have students, uh, family, kids uh, that are going to post secondary education, yeah. uh, and and they're concerned about the impact this is going to have on the institutions themselves. Because let's face it, the tuition that's being paid. It's not a tax. That goes to the university, and it's one of the leading f- sources of funding for universities, and they're all going to take a significant hit. We found out yesterday McMaster University here in Hamilton is going to take about a $22 million shortfall. Uh, when you don't get as much money, Minister, it's a, it's a simple mathematical formula here. If you don't have as much, well, you can't supply we, services. Are we going to see professors being let go? Are we going to see programs being cut? That's going to have well, an impact we, on, it, on, on the quality of education, isn't it? Well, what we've seen... Um, And I can tell you that that the important part of this is putting students first. We want to work with institutions, colleges, and universities to make sure um, that they continue to offer high-quality programs. Uh, But we know that the 10% reduction in tuition fees does not translate to a 10% reduction um, in in um, operating funds for universities and colleges, it actually only translates to about a 2 to 4% uh, reduction. They have streams from other sources of revenues, uh, and this is an important point that, that uh, needs to be highlighted. We want to work with post-secondary education institutions to make sure um, that they can continue to offer um, high-quality programs. We heard loud and clear from students that tuition was too high. And the previous government, unfortunately, what they did was they used um, OSAP to, to subsidize higher and higher tuition fees to the point the Auditor General uh, reported that if this was not sustainable, that costs were ballooning. So if we want to make sure that OSAP is sustainable for students and families who really need it, then we have to address all these things as a package. 
How do we maintain the assistance for students and families who need it most? That was in the front of our minds when we made these reforms. Maintain uh, um, affordable, accessible post-secondary education for all students across Ontario. Well, and, uh, and, and therein lies the, the debate that's going to happen. Uh, our, our time is tight, and I, I really do appreciate you uh, joining us uh, on the program this morning to explain that to you. Thank you so much, Minister. Thank you so much. Take care. That's uh, Marilee Fullerton, the Minister of Colleges, uh, Universities, and Training, uh, making the announcement about the the cut. Now, as I say, we've reached out to some of the post-secondary educations. Last night on uh, Global News at 5.30 and 6, uh, Travis Delrange, uh, who is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News, uh, also did some extensive research. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to bring us up to speed on this. Travis, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a busy couple of days. It's been a busy week for you, really. <laughs> it has been. The house not sitting. Listen, yesterday, uh, uh, yesterday on the report, I know that you, uh, you talked to some university representatives, and, and they've got some serious concerns about this announcement. Yeah, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I was listening to your interview there with the minister. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit of spin there, uh, because universities are very concerned. We talked to, uh, you know, some representatives yesterday who said, this is going to result in hundreds of millions of dollars that are lost, and that will result then in universities not proceeding with new initiatives. Uh, programs, etc. So there certainly is a concern on the university, and there's also a concern um, when it comes to students. We were talking to the Canadian Federation of Students, who's holding a rally today on the grounds of Queen's Park. Uh, they say that they are extremely concerned about this, and one of the, the big issues, they say, is that the, the ministry didn't consult with any student groups on this, uh, and they say that they would like to have been consulted to tell them where they wanted to see uh, this conversation go, and ultimately uh, help direct policy on it. That's an interesting point, because I, I, as I say, watching your reporting last night, and, and Alan Carter, of course, who talked to the minister on the news last night, uh, and, and, and again, she just repeated here that, uh, you know, we heard from students, and, and you've talked to the students' associations to say, well, they didn't hear from us because they didn't call. As a matter of yeah. fact, they, as you mentioned yesterday, a number of those associations tried to reach out to the government and didn't get any response multiple times and and so they say that you know the minister did not respond to letters phone calls etc so i mean they they are we've talked about this on a number of issues they're consulting uh on some things they're not consulting on others and this was one where they were, were kind of moving ahead uh you know the, the issue when it comes to uh family income is something else that students highlight they say well not you know just because my parents make X amount of money doesn't necessarily translate into uh, me having all of that income. And so, you know, they're, they're concerned that the bar being lowered from $175,000 to qualify, that's family income to qualify for OSAP down to uh, 140 is going to uh, limit access for people. And that's something else the universities highlighted as well. Mm -hmm. Students will have access. Those people wanting to go into post-secondary will have access to it now. By the way, one of the other issues that you pointed out yesterday that uh, I just didn't really make the the press release up from the government, uh, they've cut out the grace period for paying back OSAP loans. Uh, there used to be a period of a few months uh, where you could kind of get on your feet. I, I, I guess they're anticipating you're going to get a job the day after you graduate. That, that's pretty presumptuous, isn't it? And that really gave students a bit of flexibility once they get out of school. You know, I mean, I, I went to university a while ago, but certainly I didn't have a job the day after I graduated. There was a six-month grace period uh, where they didn't need to pay interest on, on loans. That is now completely gone. Uh, what is new, and the minister talked about this a little bit, is a student choice initiative um, where students are allowed to pick and choose some of the fees that they pay. There's a concern about that as well, because 
you know, some of the student unions and organizations and clubs and extracurricular activities that, you know, make up student life on campus, those now are in jeopardy of, of you know, students now picking and choosing what they want to fund and what they don't want to fund. And, of course, that, that could lead to the reduction of some of those clubs as well. Yeah, and that's a long list. And, and I guess it would vary from institution to institution. But, you know, and again, talking to some of the people in so, involved in some of these, I mean, it can be peer support. It could be uh, uh, actually mental and physical health programs, uh, bus passes, affordable bus passes. That's a big issue at every uh, university and college campus right now. That money's got to come from somewhere. And that fee was actually uh, one of the sources of it. you got to wonder uh, about how viable that's going to be now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the NDP, uh, they came out swinging yesterday, as did uh, former Premier Kathleen Wynne, who, who says that, you know, despite what the Auditor General said in her report, and the Minister's correct in saying this, uh, Bonnie Lissick did say in her, her recent report that, uh, you know, OSAP funding and financial aid funding under the previous Liberal government was ballooning. It was uh, a bit out of control. It was headed towards a cost of about $2 billion a year. Uh, but, you know, we put that question to, to Premier, to former Premier Wynne, uh, and she said, well, that, we think that that was a good thing. That, that showed us that, you know, there were more people accessing education, and so, you know, we were going to incur some of those costs, and, and, and more people with lower incomes could access education under this plan. She says that that has now changed. Travis, did you get any sense uh, as to uh, at the focus of some of these? And one of the ones that jumped out at us is uh, we've got an institution right down the street from the radio station here, Columbia College, which is about 95% uh, foreign students. Uh, they don't get this break. Why not? So, yeah, so that that is something else to point out. It's a good point. Uh, you know, international students, they are that that is going to r- remain unregulated in terms of their tuition. And there's also a concern uh, from international students. I, I mean, my intern yesterday uh, at, at Queen's Park, he's an international student, right? He, he's from Africa. He's paying uh, mm-hmm. a lot of tuition right now. And one of the things he was telling me when we were researching the story is, I, I wonder now if my tuition is going to go up as a result of universities putting that burden and that, uh, you know, that, that loss of revenue onto them instead. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a balancing act, isn't it? And, I mean, universities are going to be hard-pressed. I know the minister uh, just told us that, uh, you know, they have other revenue sources, but we also know that those revenue sources are drying up. Uh, corporate donations and things of this nature have, have shrunk considerably, uh, which is giving the universities and colleges, uh, the, the, I guess, basically more opportunity now to rely on, on, on money. And that seems to be drying up from the, the at least the, the, this provincial government now anyway. And you got to wonder what the ramifications are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we will see where this goes, but certainly uh, it is yet another debate. And uh, I should mention as well, on another front, uh, I, I don't know if we, you had talked about this on your show, but uh, on another area, completely aside, the, the government has chosen to reduce the uh, number of local integration health networks. So they're firing on a number of different uh, pistols here, and this certainly, this OSAP, uh, you know, uh, cuts to OSAP and also the tuition cut is, is causing great debate. So when Travis shows up at work at Queens Park, I, I don't think you've ever, ever since you've taken over as Queens Park bureau chief, said, "Hey, I don't want to get. What am I going to talk about today?" Uh, they're, they're pretty good <laughs> at providing you with a lot of fodder here, aren't they? And there's more to come next week, I believe. You bet. Yeah. Well, we'll be watching 5:30 tonight on Global News. Uh, thanks, Travis, for this. Have a great weekend. 
You too, Bill. Take care. Travis Downrush, of course, Queens Park Bureau Chief for Global News. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.